Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks again to you guys for joining us here. We're going to run through some burning playoff questions here. Shahan Jeharaja along with me, Doug Maurice. We have uh, at least seven, Shahan. I think probably up to eight, maybe even more than that. I like stuff like this, Shahan, because I want to sort of think about the two semifinals in concert. And I want to say things like, of all the things and all the stuff, right, that it's not just this game than that game. We did that. Again, I would direct people, if you didn't listen to our breakdowns from a couple weeks ago, of Michigan, Georgia, and Alabama, Cincinnati. We covered a lot of the specifics there, but these are more sort of like combining stuff. For instance, number one on our list, Sean, rank the four starting quarterbacks based on how well you think they'll play. So I did not say who will throw for the most yards. I did not even say like who will win. And I do think you can grade on a curve a little bit if you want to, sort of maybe who plays the highest above their own individual standard. So however you want to do it, rank your four quarterbacks, one through four, and I'm assuming you're going to do the four starting quarterbacks, but we still feel like we have these like side things. Good, this guy, good, J.J. McCarthy, make Shahan's list. I don't think so, but where are you? Yeah, I'll I'll start at number four. So number four for me, I think is Stetson Bennett. I don't think he's going to be asked to do that much, whereas I think all three of the other guys have to have good games for their teams to have a chance to win. I think there's a chance that Stetson Bennett might be able to be a game manager type uh, and potentially just kind of be a guy who hands it off to the running back, plays off of play action, and and George is able to win that way. Uh, But to go to number three, I think Cade McNamara – there's a chance that it goes that way as well. It, whereas the top two guys, they're really going to be relied on a lot. Desmond Ritter and Bryce Young. I'll have Bryce Young at one because I do think uh, that that he is the most impactful player uh, at quarterback in the college football playoff by quite a bit. He won the Heisman Trophy. He's an All-American. Uh, I do – we – Give you a lot of crap for uh, your takes that you get wrong. Like, for example, I'm watching Iowa State Clemson, and uh, it is not a college football playoff game right now. But I will give you credit for this. Earlier in the season, you did make the argument that maybe there is sort of a transcendent type quarterback, and maybe he's just hidden because he plays at Alabama. And I think the way that the season has ended, uh, Bryce Young looks like he is maybe actually that player. That sort of Johnny Manziel type, just make things happen. Uh and I'll put Desmond Ritter at number two. I think he's going to have a big game. I think he needs to have a big game. And I think the ball is going to be in his hands a lot. I like how you said we make fun of you for your bad takes. There's nobody else here, Shahan. There's no we. Uh, it's, it's you. The collective uh, ecosystem of college football, uh, of Twitter, of uh, emails, you know, we uh, of, uh, of course, our, our beloved texters. I, I think we get a lot in. Are you getting you getting a lot of like, boy, is Doug bad at this kind of emails and texts directed at Shahan? <laughs> Would not surprise me. So I'm going to differ a little bit. And, and I don't I, I don't want to be hot takey here, but I might 
accidentally wind up being that way. So I'm going to put Cade McNamara fourth because I just have some real questions about the Michigan offense matchup against this Georgia defense. And, you know, I, I obviously, you guys know I do a lot cover Ohio, covering Ohio State and just sort of like watching a lot of Cade McNamara going into that game. There are times like he's a little bit of a he can be a little bit of a boom bust guy. He can make some really good throws, but he can make some throws also that you're like, oh, man, you want to have that one back. And I just think Georgia has a chance to put a lot of pressure on him. And so I'm going to put Stetson Bennett third sort of for the same reasons you said that I think he'll be asked to do less, which will lessen the chances of him screwing up which will mean that my, he might end up playing a little better than Cade McNamara because I think even though Michigan runs it so well, they're going to have to throw. And he's a little not as not as accustomed to having to do that. And I'm going to sound like a crazy person here, but I'm going to put Bryce Young second and Desmond Ritter first because Bryce Young is only two games removed from an outing where he completed fewer than 50% of his passes and where he had about 200 passing yards in the game before the final drive, right? Up until the final minute of that regular regulation game against Auburn. And then he throws for 85 yards on the 97 yard touchdown drive to tie drive to tie that game. And then he throws for some more in overtime, but he is that he is, he is, he is, but he hasn't been that every single snap, every single game. And this is also a little bit of a nod to the Cincinnati secondary. And it's a little bit of a nod to John Mechie being out. And it's a little bit of a nod to, okay, I think this might be the best secondary Alabama has faced, and they're doing it without one of their top two playmakers. And I think that has an effect on this guy. And he is still young. He's a Heisman winner. He's an elite prospect. He's a five-star recruit. He's got everything you want, and he has looked utterly calm most of the year. He has that pocket presence that belies his age, but it's, it's mostly about, this is about sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant and a defensive game plan that is, I think going to be able to really zero in on Jamison Williams and just try to make it a little harder on Bryce young. And I think Desmond Ritter might, rise up in a way that is like holy moly that looks like a fifth year dude in complete control of the game do i sound crazy are you already preparing to nail me for my incorrect take when this game is over <laughs> well i i found a great stat actually while i was putting together a piece for cbs sports and that's that desmond ritter has basically the same number of pass attempts as the other three starting quarterbacks in this in the college football playoff combined. It's like 1272 versus 1277. So when wow. you talk about experience, I mean, Desmond Ritter's that guy. He's a head and shoulders above everybody else from that perspective. And also when you talk about performance, I mean, Bryce Young has put together a tremendous year, but Desmond Ritter all year long has been really, really good as well. He's completing over 65% of his passes. He's handled pressure really well. Uh, you know, and, and we mentioned it, uh, we've mentioned it several times over the past couple of weeks. He hasn't been asked to run over the last two years because he's been able to recognize at a much higher level uh, when he needs to run and when he doesn't, as opposed to earlier in his career when he was more of an athlete. And so he is the quarterback who I think is best poised to see what's in front of him and take advantage of it. I think for me, I still just feel like Alabama's got so many weapons and uh, and that Bryce Young is going to be asked to do so much that it's hard to bet against him. 
But I think that there's one thing that we can say for absolute certain, and that is that there's going to be one game with good quarterback play, and the other game is the Orange Bowl. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was kind of mean how you said that. But yeah, I mean, I think I think we all see that, and I I do think this can be a tremendous quarterback battle that that just maybe doesn't go exactly the way that everybody sees it. All right, second burning question is about Jamison Williams, the uh, all all American Alabama receiver. In his last five full games, and I'm not counting the Auburn game where he was ejected for targeting in the middle of that game. In the five full games, he's averaging 7.4 catches and 163 receiving yards per game, which is just, just blows your mind. I'm setting the over-under for receiving yards against Cincinnati for him at 150. Shahan, you're going over or under? I'm going under. And the reason is I think that Cincinnati's entire game plan is going to be built around trying to take this guy away. And I do think it's going to free other guys up. I mean, I expect Cameron Latu. I expect Jaleel Billingsley. I expect Slade Bolden to get a lot more targets. So this isn't that I think that Bryce Young is going to throw for 200 yards. I just think that Jamison Williams has been able to play off of John Mechie in such a big way. And I think it just really changes the dynamic when he's kind of out there alone in some ways, right? I, I mean, it, I think it completely changes the way that Alabama is going to have to play offense. And so I do think it's going to be a little bit more of a dink and dunk offense. I don't expect there to be a, a bunch of big plays from Jamison Williams. I mean, because that's one of the big things, too, is that Jamison Williams has had catches of 50 and 60 and 70 yards over the last couple of weeks. I don't think that's going to happen just because of the way that Cincinnati safeties are going to play him the way that obviously Ahmad Gardner is going to play and the way that Kobe Bryant's going to play him if he gets switched on to him. Uh, and, and so I think that it's going to be more of a collective team effort uh, in terms of total uh, receiving yardage. I don't think it's going to be concentrated on that one guy. Part I don't disagree with that, but when you start talking about the collective team effort for Alabama, like who's the rest of the collective team? That that I might I think I'm gonna take the over on this, but it is a a hard earned, perhaps frustrating over. That could it could it be he has 150 receiving yards on like 19 targets? You know what I mean? And there are multiple plays where maybe it felt like something was there, and and then Sauce Gardner makes the play on him, or 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 one of their safeties comes over and helps and, and, you know, hits him as the ball is arriving and knocks it free, that it could be a great statistical game that Cincinnati would also yet somehow view as a success, that that Jamison Williams could have 150 receiving yards, yet not single-handedly win the game for Alabama, like he has been doing at times, like he almost did in the Georgia game, when he just he just set that defense on fire. What if they hold Jamison Williams down to some degree? What's the game plan for an Alabama win? Is it is it Bryce? Is it tight ends? Is it a lot of Brian Robinson and the run game? Is it just okay? Well, they're going to key on Jamison Williams so much they go to Jacory Brooks and Slade Bolden and all these other sort of second tier receivers for them. What's that plan look like? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it is built around that. I think it's built around other guys being explosive because. You know, we talk about there being two guys who were head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, but like 
you know, the, the roster is filled with four and five star receivers. They're filled with four and five star tight ends. It's not like those are the only guys who can break free and run a lot, right? So I think that over these past couple of weeks of practice, they're going to have developed a few of these guys. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll see a name that we haven't seen before. I mean, one guy, obviously, from the state of Texas is JoJo Earl, who played at Alito High School. I mean, this is one of the top 50 players in the country. He hasn't really had a chance to contribute because they've had so much depth at that position. Uh, and, and so, you know, when you have a John Mechie out, like you don't replace him with the Slade Bolden. Slade Bolden's a different type of receiver. I think they're going to try to get some more explosive players out on the field. Uh, and the other thing, too, and I mean, we can maybe use this to jump to one of our other questions on the list, right? I think that part of this question is asking how good a quarterback is Bryce Young? Because one of our questions is Georgia tight end Brock Bowers had his fourth hundred yard game of the season against Alabama in the SEC title game over under a hundred receiving yards versus Michigan. And I'd go over on that because I don't think Stetson Bennett's very good as opposed to, I think that Bryce Young is a quarterback who will go through his progressions and find guys who are open as opposed to just staring down a receiver and being like, dear God, please come open because otherwise I'm lost. That that you see the idea of being able to do more than just throw to the obvious playmaker as a strength of an offense that Alabama will go under 150 on Jamison Williams because even though they have guys who maybe haven't done it this year, they have the capability and Bryce Young will bring out the best in them and will distribute the ball as opposed to Brock Bowers, who as a true freshman has been one of the best tight ends in the country in part because their receiver room has been decimated and because he's also sort of turned into a safety blanket for Stetson Bennett. They hit him on some little slip screens. They, they get him the ball sort of with easy throws that he turns into big plays. I think it's an interesting way to look at it that the Bryce Young Jamison Williams connection is special but this all also could be a breakout moment for a Bama receiver who was a high level recruit but is yet net not yet a national name that will be a national name as soon as he scores two touchdowns in a playoff semifinal so i do have my doubts about that a little bit again which is just tied to my respect for the Cincinnati secondary but I understand what you're saying and I think it's a smart take so I'm still going to go under on Jamison Williams and then I will go over we're both no I'm I'm going over on Jamison Williams I'm going over 150 on Jamison Williams almost not force feeding him but just like he's our explosive guy he's our explosive guy but that if they try to get him the ball 10 times on explosive plays, it works three times, which helps the stats, but maybe isn't the most efficient way for the Bama offense to operate. That it's a, that it's a 150 that doesn't blow the doors off Cincinnati. And, and I will say last, uh, last word on this and uh, before we move on to that other question. I mean, you look at the numbers. Jameson Williams had 68 catches this year, obviously in 13 games and John Mechie had 96. So like, Bryce Young hasn't really force-fed Jamison Williams that kind of way, right? I mean, it's mostly been explosive plays where they've kind of found him as almost not not a secondary option, but but I mean, John, uh, John Mechie was really the possession guy. And so I think that it's going to be more of, okay, who are these other possession guys I can find? I think that obviously Slade Bolden is an obvious name from that perspective. He's going to do some damage in the slot. And I think that it's going to be more, okay – Again, which of these guys comes off the bench to try to be explosive? Who, who's this year's OJ Howard, right? Who's the guy who's going to come off the bench who we've never heard of and play himself into a second round NFL draft pick? 
All right, so we'll move on to Bowers. Bowers has become the number one playmaker for the Georgia offense. I was actually surprised it's only four 100-yard receiving games for him this year because sometimes the way they talk about him and the way you think about him, I would have thought, wait, he must be almost averaging 100 receiving yards per game, and he's not. But he did have a big game against Alabama, which is almost like, well, I mean, their offense kind of didn't function that great against Alabama, and they did they have to force feed him, which almost reads goes into your point of like, okay, well, he had a – Big yardage game against Bama, but Georgia lost, and Stetson Bennett made some mistakes. I just like Bowers. I'm curious, though, about George Pickens, the way the Georgia coaches have sort of talked about Pickens this week. It's like he's still trying to come back. He's slowly been building up his number of snaps. We did see him in the SEC championship game for like 20 snaps. Could we see him more now? I mean, I certainly would guess yes, that you give the guy another month, and if he was playing that much then, he should play more now. Maybe that lessens the need for Brock Bowers. But I, I feel like the offense, especially, you know, Michigan's going to have a pass rush. They're, I don't know that they'll be able to work the play action and get stuff down the field as much, you know, because Aiden Hutchinson's going to be in Stetson Bennett's face. Shorter stuff to Brock Bowers seems to make sense to me. I just feel like the offense will run through him in a somewhat efficient way for Georgia in this game. Cause I just, it, Bowers is that good. I think that George Pickens, George Pickens rather is going to be healthy. I think he's going to be effective. I think he's going to run great routes. The bigger thing for me is that a lot of the deep ball stuff that Stetson Bennett has thrown has almost been like one or two read play action type stuff. And I don't think that they're going to be able to get away with that against this Michigan defense. Like, Again, I, I think that the quick arriving stuff, I, I think George is going to feast on that. I think that George is going to be able to run the ball pretty effectively. I think they're going to be able to get the ball to the tight ends pretty effectively. I don't think that it's a favorable situation for them to ask uh, Stetson Bennett to step back into the pocket, wait three seconds for play the play to develop down the field, and try to evade those pass rushers at the same time. I, I don't think that that's a good plan. So from that perspective, I do think that George Pickens will have one or two game-changing type plays in this game, I, I just don't think it's going to be with a level of consistency that matches what Brock Bowers will be for this team. Okay, we like Brock Bowers. I think that's good. Let's talk about edge rushers in this semifinals um, setup because you have probably the two best ones in the country. You have Will Anderson for Alabama, and you have Aiden Hutchinson for Michigan. Hutchinson finished second in the Heisman voting. Anderson finished fifth. Could another guy be in this conversation? David Ojabo of Michigan. Maje Sanders actually didn't have that many sacks for Cincinnati this year. Didn't have a huge statistical year. Curtis Brooks has the most sacks for Cincinnati. I, I don't know if there's anybody else we want to throw in this conversation. But the question, as I framed it, Shahan, was which edge rusher will impact his game more? Hutchinson or Anderson or if you want to say somebody else, that's fine. But again, impact. What does impact mean? Not stats, but doing things to help your team win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the funny thing about this question is that I think that the answer will be which player doesn't just ra rush the passer, right? Which player is able to impact the run game the most? And 
across the season, it's easily been Will Anderson. Like he's been a much bigger factor in stopping the run game than Aiden Hutchinson or David Ojabo was for, uh, for Michigan. You know, Michigan's obviously really good at linebacker. They're really good uh, on the interior. So they didn't really ask those guys to, to be a big factor. Well, against Georgia, I think you have to be. I think that maybe you have to see Aiden Hutchinson stand up a little bit. Maybe you need to see him getting inside a little bit. Uh, obviously you need to see him setting the edge at an elite level, which is something I'm not super worried about, but it is something that he's going to have to do. Um, so I think that, I think that Michigan needs Aiden Hutchinson to be bigger than Will Anderson needs to be for Alabama. I think I'm still going to go Will Anderson because I think that we've just seen it a little more. I mean, I think that within the context of their schemes, uh, you know, again, Hutchinson's been a, a pass rusher. That's what he's been this season. Uh, whereas Will Anderson's been more of like, you kind of said, an edge guy, a linebacker, an outside linebacker type who can do a couple different things. Uh, but I, I think if Michigan finds a way to make Aiden Hutchinson the most valuable pre- pass rusher uh, slash edge defender in the playoff, I, I think that's the path to potentially Michigan winning this football game. I'm going to take... Will Anderson as well, and I think one of the reasons for that is because Jamari Sawyer, the left tackle for Georgia, was saying this week that he feels really good physically, and he's sort of had a foot thing that's been bothering him decent chunks of the year. He said, I feel good. I feel really good, actually. And then he is a guy that wants this, which I kind of like. And again, these are the kind of stats, you know, if Aiden Hutchinson has, has four sacks, we'll have this quote and Aiden Hutchinson will say, oh, this motivated me and that kind of thing. But Sawyer said, obviously a lot of scouts are going to watch the matchups. I like to compete. If they say a guy is the best, I want to play against the best. That's what you play on the SEC for. That's what you came to Georgia for. So I do think the Georgia tackles with Sawyer, especially if he's healthy, with Warren McClendon, I like him. And... I know Alabama um, has expressed, I think, respect for the Cincinnati offensive line this week, but I, you know, I think Georgia's is better. So I think Georgia is a tougher matchup for Hutchinson. I could see Anderson kind of having his way against Cincinnati, but then we'll go back to our old friend. Chris Owens, the Alabama right tackle, which is sort of why I threw in like, unless it's a Cincinnati guy. Because again, if we're talking about offensive line problems, I still just think in the end, right tackle for Alabama might be the most questionable offensive line spot in the semifinals of the the 20 positions on the offensive line. I just, I just don't know if Cincinnati will take advantage of it. But I just think, I think maybe the Georgia tackles will rise to the occasion, which is why I'm, I would lean more Anderson here is there is there any more of a Chris Owens conversation we need to have for Alabama there <laughs> no I mean and, and I will say right I do think that uh that Mike Sanders is going to have a really big playoffs I I think he's going to be really good against Alabama uh you know he he hasn't been asked to do a lot this year they've kind of relied a little more on Curtis Brooks uh at at defensive tackle to kind of be their production guy uh, I expect Maja Sanders to play a lot of snaps. I expect him to get a lot of uh, sort of one-on-one matchups against uh, that right side of the Alabama line. Uh, and I think he's going to have some success. You know, I, I think that one of his biggest tasks is going to be trying to, to, to set that edge and keep Bryce Young in the pocket because Bryce Young is so good rolling to his right. Um, but, you know, I, I struggle to say that he's going to be the number one guy just because, I mean, I think that Will Anderson is the type of guy who can 
just destroy a Cincinnati game plan, right? Like who can just change everything both in the rush and in the pass game. That's what he's been doing uh, for so much of the season. I, I mean, you know, what we talk about with Bryson kind of covering up a lot of holes on the offensive side of the ball, I think that you could make the same argument for Will Anderson on the defensive side of the ball, that this is a pretty good defense with a guy who just wrecks everything. Uh, you know, so I think that it's probably going to be Will Anderson, but there's certainly, I think, good cases for other guys as well. Nobody on Georgia, though. No, nobody on Georgia. Yeah, okay. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We have at least three more, maybe four more questions to talk about. We'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug Maurice back with Shahan J. Haraja. This one, again, is more of a sort of across-the-board uh, big-picture conversation. It's about running backs and which running back will have the biggest impact on a semifinal. Georgia has a lot of guys, Zamir White, Kendall Milton, James Cook that they like to work in. We know Cincinnati relies on Jerome Ford. We know that Michigan likes to work guys in Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, maybe a little bit of the freshman Donovan Edwards. And then Alabama, Brian Robinson leads the way, but they've got some other guys behind him as well. Uh, I think this could go a lot of different ways. There's a guy that I want to say, and I just don't know if I can say him or not. So I'll make you go first. Wow. Okay. I, I'm very intrigued now by, by what you're trying to say here. Uh, I am going to go with Brian Robinson. And the reason that I say that is that I think that Cincinnati is really going to sell out to stop Bryce Young and obviously to stop Jameson Williams. And so we saw when uh, when Alabama played against Auburn that when things got ugly, there just weren't a lot of places for uh, Alabama's offense to go. Well, I think that Brian Robinson is going to be asked to play physical. I think he's going to be asked to grind out four yards per carry. I, I To be clear, I, I don't think he's going to rush for 140 yards and have breakaway plays. I, I think that he needs to be more of a grinder. It needs to be... 32 carries for, you know, 108 yards, right? Like it needs to be that kind of game where he's just keeping the ball moving, where he's just keeping the offense moving, keeping the chains moving. Um, you know, compared to the other guys, I mean, I, I think that we've talked a lot about Jerome Ford and our concerns about, uh, obviously Cincinnati's offensive line, uh, Jerome Ford's one of the best players in the college football playoff. I just think that he's not set up to, to have a very successful run. Uh, and then with Georgia and, and Michigan, there's obviously so many guys. I do have a guy, uh, one guy from that game that I, that I think could potentially be the difference maker, but I want to hear your answer first. So I'll, I'll preface this by saying Alabama is second in the nation in rush defense in terms of average yards allowed per carry. At 2.51, Georgia is third at 2.61. Cincinnati is 11th at 3.33. Michigan is 22nd at 3.52. So the run defense and the overall defense for Alabama and Georgia is through the roof. And and the guy that I want to say is Jerome Ford because the idea of this guy who was an Alabama recruit and transferred away from Alabama and came to Cincinnati and this week asked people to say, please stop referring to me as the Alabama transfer. I'm a Bearcat now. Like all of that stuff is set up. And I do think, I mean, if Cincinnati's going to win, they have to do something extraordinary. 
And and maybe that's offensively, offensively, right? Because I mean, I, I you know they they have to. I think their secondary is real, and I think their secondary is good enough to give Bryce Young and Jamison Williams at least some problems, and then give Cincinnati a chance. But then the offense has got to do something. And as much as I like Desmond Ritter, I think it has to be balanced. But you look right. I mean, it's. The Auburn-Alabama game, Auburn almost beat Alabama. Tank Bigsby ran 29 times for 63 yards, 2.2 yards per carry against Alabama. Texas A&M, with two awesome running backs, beat Alabama. It wasn't because of their running backs, because neither of their running backs did much. They got a decent amount of carries, but neither Spiller nor A-Chain really, like, you know, dominated there. They combined 24 carries for 80 yards. So, like, is Jerome Ford? gonna do better than that i i want to say maybe i i want to say that maybe cincinnati comes up with something and or that desmond ritter is so in control and so dangerous and they maybe alabama thinks okay well ford's good but i mean we got to make sure we stop ritter and that opens up something for ford i was like i want to say ford but i'm not sure there's any proof even though I think you can find things in this Bama team that lead you to think like they're not invincible and they ha- they haven't looked invincible, but I don't think the run defense is one of the, is one of the places to look for that. So like it, I, can I just say Jerome Ford and say like, I want to say it, even if I don't exactly believe it or do I have to pick somebody else? Well, let me say this. If Jerome Ford is the best running back in the college football playoff, then Cincinnati wins that game. Right. Like we're we're going into this assuming or at least I am to some extent assuming that Cincinnati's not going to be able to block Alabama and that they're not going to be able to run the ball. That's like my assumption that I'm that I'm basing my predictions on. If Jerome Ford is able to move the ball by himself. I mean, then I think Cincinnati's better at a lot of other things. Right. I mean, Cincinnati has a better pass defense. Cincinnati has a more experienced quarterback like. If if they can run the ball better than Alabama, I mean, that would be a huge, huge that, that would be a playoff changing deal if, if Jerome Ford is able to have that kind of game, in my opinion. Um, the guy that I was gonna mention that I think is a dark horse to maybe impact this is uh is Hassan Haskins. And Hassan Haskins has really been uh Michigan sort of battering ram type back. Like and the thing is, I feel like he's the exact kind of player and the way that he plays in Michigan's offense is like the perfect matchup for what you don't want to do against Georgia. But if he's able to, again, like I talked about with Brian Robinson, if he's just able to be a battering ram, if he's able to withstand the punishment, if Michigan's offensive line, because this is a big part of it, is able to keep uh, Georgia's defensive line at bay, if they're able to to complete their pulls and they're able to to just, you know, chip Jordan Davis and and keep him out of the way to some extent, Again, I, I think that changes the game quite a bit if Hassan Haskins is able to be inefficient but productive. So I like Haskins a lot. I like the Michigan running attack when for a while there it was like Corum. Blake Corum seemed like the number one guy and Haskins was the number two. Then Corum got hurt. And I like it a little more when Haskins is sort of like the number one guy and Corum's a little bit more of the changeup. Yeah, he's the engine. He's the engine. Corum sort of hit a big run against Ohio State and that kind of thing. The the numbers for Michigan are good, right? Michigan is 
10th in the nation in rushing yards per game with 224. And Michigan is 12th in the nation in average yards per carry at 5.31. But, and this is, again, why I don't love Michigan in this game. They rushed for at least more than 330 yards in each of their first three games of the year. Two of them were against MAC teams. One was against an overmatched Washington team. Against the two teams they've played that have like good linebackers, which is what Georgia is defined by, Michigan against Wisconsin had 44 carries for 112 yards. That's 2.5 yards per carry. And against Penn State, Brandon Short, Ellis Brooks, a bunch of good guys, 41 carries, 144 yards, 3.5 yards per carry. Like, And then they came back and they tore up Ohio State because Ohio State has bad linebackers. I guess Ohio State, 41 carries, 297 yards, 7.2 yards per carry. But that was, again, that was a Michigan strength going right at the heart of an Ohio State weakness that now is the absolute strength of Georgia. And so, like, the raw basic numbers, and I know everybody goes beyond the raw basic numbers now. It's like Michigan's a good run team, and it's like – well, are they a good run team against a good run defense? And like the answer has been no. And of course, everybody's not as good against a good defense. But again, you run for 112 yards against Wisconsin. You run for 373 against a MAC team. Like the 373 against a MAC team has no bearing on this game. The 112 against Wisconsin does have a bearing on this game. And I think that's what it's going to look like. Like I re- I have, I really like Hassan Haskins. I am right there with you. And when Michigan blocks it up, they are great. And I even like their third guy, Donovan Edwards, the borderline five-star freshman running back. They, they do have some guys, but man, I just don't like the matchup at all. And I guess I shouldn't like the Jerome Ford matchup against Alabama any better, which might then lead to the thing that what, which is where you are, which is well, I'm not sure you can pick anybody running against the Georgia defense or Alabama defense. So then you better pick a Georgia running back or an Alabama running back. And the Georgia running back is like a three-way timeshare. So pick the Bama guy. So you might have been right on this from the jump. See how I'm nice to you? See how I said a nice thing about how you were right? (laughs) And earlier today, you were like how I'm always wrong all the time. Well, I mean, if you're right a lot, it just makes it a lot easier. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, Okay. I want to get into some coaching stuff here. Let's start with the Alabama-Cincinnati game in the Cotton Bowl. Who is the most important assistant coach in the Cotton Bowl? Now, again, for Alabama, a couple of their assistants, including Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, had some COVID issues earlier. They're here. They got here late, but they're here. Bill O'Brien, a guy who has been a head coach in college at Penn State, been a head coach in the NFL, was brought in as part of the sort of the rotating Saban coordinator plan. Um, replaced Steve Sarkeesian, by all accounts, has, has done a good job this year. Pete Golding, the Alabama defensive coordinator, you know, was talking this week and it's like, hey, man, you know, I get it. I hear all the stuff, you know, that if you're not up to the Alabama level of defense, everybody's kind of, oh, you're only number two in the nation in run defense. Why aren't you better? Um, they're certainly on the hook. Mike Tressel, the nephew of Jim Tressel, is a Cincinnati defensive coordinator, took over this year after Mark Fre- Marcus Freeman left and went to Notre Dame. And then Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator, uh, came from Notre Dame, has a lot of experience in college football. I think you could go a lot of different ways here, but when we think about Bama, Cincinnati, who's who's the dude it might really come down to? Yeah, well, I, I do have to take a second and say, how are we really at a point where like Nick Saban's telling former NFL head coaches, here, come be a position coach? Are you kidding me? Like, it's insane, insane stuff. But uh, I'm 
going to go away from the coordinators. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I'm going to go with Holman Wiggins, the wide receivers coach and also assistant head coach of offense, which I don't know what that means, but I'm going with the wide receivers coach at Alabama. It means a pay bump. It means an extra way to get a guy a little pay bump. <laughs> I, I, I am always here to get a guy paid. But after John Mechie's injury, right, immediately, immediately, you heard players and coaches basically say, it's time for the young receivers to step up. And Holman Wiggins has done a great job with Jamison Williams, a player who just came into the program, uh, who has obviously developed a lot since he was at Ohio State. And, and certainly he was good at Ohio State and just couldn't get on the field because they have good players. But I think that he's also done a good job of developing him. Uh, he did a great job of developing John Mechie. And, uh, and now I want to see what he can do with some of these young guys with a few extra practices under his belt, right? I, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing that you say about all of this is that you have a little extra time. This isn't like an in-season injury. You have more practices to kind of work guys up. And so I'll be curious to see how he does with those receivers because we mentioned it. I mean, you can point to Slade Bolden, who's not going to be a big-time uh, you know, sort of threat for them. You can point to the tight ends who are obviously really good, but they need another explosive option. They need another guy who can break tackles, another guy who can get down the field. They have those guys on the roster. You mentioned Ja'Cory Brooks. Uh, you know, I mentioned JoJo Earl. There are a lot of guys who could step up in this game, and I think that Holman Wiggins has to be the guy to get it out of them. See, that's such a Shahan answer, because like Holman Wiggins sounds like a Simpsons character to me. I didn't even know that that was like a real coach. No offense to that guy. I'm sure he's really good at it. <laughs> but it's like, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm feeling fancy. I'm listing coordinators. And Shahan's like, oh, you're gonna pick a coordinator, Doug? Cool. Let me go with the uh with the grad assistant in charge of punt coverage for Alabama. I really think he's gonna blow this game up. Um no, but I think I, I that is it's a great test of the room, right? It's like, all right, is your room ready? I know you got great talent at the top, but is your room ready for this? I think that's a really good answer. I'm gonna go with a coordinator. And I am going to go with Mike Denbrock, the Cincinnati offensive coordinator, because Cincinnati is a defense first team. And because Bama traditionally is a defense first team. And because Bama has the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. And it's like, okay, well, then the group that has to rise the, to the occasion is the Cincinnati offense. And Mike Denbrock has been around. He was at Notre Dame for a long time. He has been in games like this. And he has to get help Desmond Ritter, both sort of like emotionally and mentally, but like also with the game plan and the way he calls it. And there is the science of calling a game and then there's there's the art of calling a game. And he has to be an artist in this game. And he has to give Desmond Ritter the right plays at the right times. And he has to take some risks and he has to take some shots. But he also has to try to get Jerome Ford loose and establish the run game. And he's got some weapons, right? I mean, he, they really do have some receivers. They have some great tight ends. We covered that in the breakdown we did. Leonard Taylor and Josh Wiley. Alec Pierce is a number one receiver on the outside. They have enough weapons. They have, you know, SEC-level weapons here. And they've got a guy running it all. Ritter is capable of winning this game. But then Brock has to put him in the position to do that. And that is a, it, that it's an assistant who's kind of been around the block a little bit and has faced a Saban defense in a national title game. And again, he wasn't the coordinator at Notre Dame when it happened, but he's been there. He can tell some stories this week and maybe, maybe make the monster feel a little bit more relatable, even though like the monster ate Notre Dame that night. So maybe leave that part out of the story, but I almost like him, like 
Josh Gaddis, the Michigan coordinator, is really important to the other game. But like Josh Gaddis is kind of new. And he's got like I almost like Denbrock as a calming voice to just get Desmond Ritter ready. And to call, all right, we're going to take this shot. Well, when are we going to take it? we got to take it at the right time. Because the thing with Cincinnati is if you, you have a shot here but can't miss, right, when when you take your deep, you know, when you take your deep shot, if you're going to call a flea flicker, if you're going to, you know, run a reverse or do something, like it's got to work. You can't You can't have the thing that you worked on for a month be right there and then call it at the wrong time. And it's like, oh, well, we didn't count for that. We didn't think they'd be in that coverage at that point, and so we blew it. So. I think I think it's it's like it's not in his hands, but also it's one of those like when when you're a guy like that, you've been around, so like you're not as nervous about this stuff. It's going to be okay either way, and nobody is expecting you to win. So I don't know. Maybe I'm making a too much of it, and it's not like he's in. He's not a super old guy. He's 57, but again, there's a lot. You know, Dan Lanning is the Georgia defensive coordinator. He's a guy like in his late 30s is going to be the Oregon head coach. He's on the way up. Mike, Den- Mike Denbrock like, is what he is at this point. He's a coordinator at a really good program, but he's not trying to like impress anybody to get to the next thing, right? So like, this is it. Take advantage of it. And I, and I just think they have an opportunity there to do that. No, I, I like that answer a lot, and I think what you said makes a lot of sense, actually, because Mike Denbrock's not going to try to do too much. I, I think that that's going to be something with a uh, with a lot of the assistants, honestly, in this game. That uh, it, you know, I think that especially when you're an underdog, sometimes there's this this allure of trying to prove how much you can do. Right. And I think that, I, I think that Luke Fickle being a coach who's been around and, and really I think that you look across this entire season, uh, you know, Cincinnati, I think has done a really good job of trying to not be something that it's not. And I, I think that they've done a good job of just being settled, of just doing their thing, of, of winning games close, not feeling like they need to, to run up the score or do anything to, you know, to impress anybody and just kind of playing Cincinnati football. And I think that Mike Denbrock on the offensive side of the ball is a big part of that. Now, and the flip side of that is too, right? You got to do some things that Alabama is not going to be prepared for. You, you have to throw some punches, but I think that you do it in a very, I guess, matter of fact sort of way. And uh, and I think that there's reasons to be optimistic. Okay. Let's go to the Orange Bowl now. Same question. Do you want me to, can I run through the coordinators so to prove to people that I looked at the Wikipedia page <laughs> and figure out who the coordinators were? Go for it. <laughs> so you've got Todd Monk and the Georgia offensive coordinator who uh, I know a little bit because he was the offensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns in 2019 under Freddie Kitchens when that season dive bombed and he left Cleveland after that year. Now he's in his second year as Georgia's offensive coordinator. We talked about him on the Tuesday podcast for Apple podcast subscribers. Again, if you're, if you're listening to this and you want a little more of us, even the Tuesday podcast is for Apple podcast subscribers only It's two 99 a month. You can go sign up at Apple college football survivor show. It's pretty easy to do it. It's 75 cents an episode. You get four of those a month. Um, so he, I think, again, that's a defensive school. That's a defensive head coach. He has sort of helped establish an identity there, but we talked about like, he's all in on Stetson Bennett, baby. And Kirby smart doubled down on that again on Wednesday. Defensive side of the ball, Dan Lanning did so well, leading the best defense in the country this year. He's going to go be the Oregon head coach. I do think it's interesting. There's not a read you can get on that. Tom Herman, as Ohio State's offensive coordinator, had taken the Houston head coaching job. 
before the end of the 2014 season, then Ohio State won, won the national championship. I th- it happens enough now that guys take jobs and then they stay with their team through it. Um, Lanning was talking this week like, hey, it's cool. Oregon's three time zones away. So I can do my Georgia work, you know, during the day and get done at 10 o'clock at night doing Georgia stuff. And it's only seven o'clock at night in Oregon. So I can then I can do three more, four more hours of Oregon stuff. So it's like one of those things. These those coaches love to talk about it. I'm not getting much sleep whenever it's like, all right, well, you're leaving one million dollar job for a multi-million dollar job, so you can sleep later. And you're like 37. I think you're fine. Yeah, I think you're okay. But like, I don't, I don't think there's a read on this. And I think people have gotten accustomed to it enough. I don't think anybody thinks Dan Lanning taking the Oregon head coaching job is going to have a negative effect on the Georgia defense in this game. Do we, is that, have you heard anybody suggest that at all, Shahan? Well, I think that the funny thing about it is that taking the job is being forthright, right? Like it, it's saying, all right. We're doing this game. We're putting everything into this game. I mean, Dan Lanning's never won a national championship, right? As, as far as I know, I don't want to speak out of turn. But, like, you know, he wants to win this game. He's going to prepare for this game. I'm not really that concerned about it. By by this point, you're just game planning, right? I mean, there's there's nothing that uh, that I think that he has to do in terms of focus or anything like that. Because, like, I think it's another situation if, like, there's rumor swirling, right? If, if you don't know what's going to happen, if you think he might leave you at season's end, you already know that. It's over. It's not a big deal, I think, at that point. Uh, you know, when it's just kind of like, all right, this is one last ride. I mean, we saw that with the, uh, with Texas Tech yesterday in the, uh, in the Liberty Bowl, right? I mean, it was an interim staff and they're like, all right, screw it. One last ride. Let's go do the thing. You know, I, I think that changes it versus again, kind of like so much uncertainty surrounding everything. So the Michigan side, you got Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, won the Broyles Award this year. We've covered him a little bit. Uh, used to be at Penn State, used to be at Alabama, hired by Harbaugh a couple of years ago to be the offensive coordinator. Wasn't great for a couple of years, but really got it together this year. Creative with the run game, a varied style of attack. Really confident, really feeling really good about where the Michigan offense is. And then Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator, super young, hired from the Baltimore Ravens staff, first-year defensive coordinator, kind of magically helped fix that defense overnight from the Don Brown era. Michigan's defense, I think, is is really good. And I have said all year, I think Michigan has looked really well coached all year. And that's Gaddis, and that's McDonald, and that is Sharon Moore, and all these guys, the offensive line coach, and all these guys, they flipped over the staff. I think six or seven new assistants this offseason for Michigan. And that staff came in and elevated Michigan. And Jim Harbaugh is the leader of that, is the guy who hired those guys, deserves a lot of credit for it. And I think Jim Harbaugh did a really good job schematically and emotionally coaching this team this year. So I think Michigan's here. Can I even say that? I think Michigan is here because it's well coached more than anybody because like Georgia and Bama has great talent and Saban's the best coach ever, but even more than Cincinnati. And it's not that Cincinnati's not well coached, but Cincinnati kind of knew what it had to do and it had to weather the storm. But like Michigan had to change the most from a year ago and they had to get their stuff together and change their identity and work new people into the system and they hit the ground running. So there's a lot of credit to go around at Michigan. Maybe you have a guy off the board, Ron Bellamy. I don't know. Do you want to, do we want to run through every new hire that Michigan made this offseason? You want to pick? I, I mean, I do think, I do think Ron Bellamy is going to be very important, uh, because apparently Dax Hill is still, uh, you know, there's a lot of rumors circling around whether he's going to play in the game or not. So if they need to get somebody ready at safety, I think Ron Bellamy is, uh, is somebody to watch, but no, that will not be my answer. I'm going to go with the coordinator here. I do want to give a quick shout out to, to Jim Harbaugh. I don't think he gets enough credit for not just hiring minority assistants, but like 
putting a lot in positions of power. Like you, you look back over the years to his time at San Diego and Stanford and even uh, in the NFL. I mean, that's, I, I think that that's somebody, you know, he never really talks about it, but I mean, you, you have a black offensive coordinator, you have a black offensive line coach, you have a black defensive passing game coordinator. Like that's not something that you see very much in college football. So I think uh, just as an aside, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. That maybe he doesn't get. Uh, I think that there's a right answer with this game. And I think it's Josh Gaddis. Uh, he has to call the game of his life because just straight up, Michigan is not as good as Georgia. And if Michigan is going to run the ball with consistency against Georgia, it's going to need to be with some smoke and mirrors. It's not going to be just lining up and pounding your head and running power and running draw and running, you know, whatever else, right? It's going to have to be by keeping Georgia's defense on its toes. And that's something that we've seen from uh, from Josh Gaddis this year. He's he's done a great job of calling this offense. You mentioned kind of transforming this offense. It went from more of a predictable type run offense to one that is comfortable using some trickeration and doing a lot of pulling and doing a lot of, uh, you know, moving side to side, getting to the edge, all that sort of stuff. But in this game, He's he's really going to need to call the game of his life, and and I think that that's both in terms of call, dialing up run schemes and uh, and things that Georgia maybe hasn't seen before, and also just being very selective in how he's going to use the passing game, how he's going to attack outside, how he's going to spread Georgia's defense out. I mean, you mentioned it on uh, on yesterday's podcast, like he sounds real confident, and uh, I guess we'll get to see whether that's worth anything. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think he has the objective right answer to this question because everybody else is kind of doing what they do. Dan Landing, again, the Georgia defense coordinator, talked a lot about eye discipline, and they just have to make sure. I think Georgia is so good, they can't get too jacked up about like, hey, we're going to attack the run game, and all of a sudden here comes play action over their heads. But I think they'll handle that. I do think Mike McDonald, again, reshaped that defense in a way. A lot of the Michigan players this week talking about he made it fun again. He asked us how we like to play, what we like to do. He puts us in positions to succeed. I wonder what it looks like if Mike McDonald comes up with something that just turns Stetson Bennett inside out and just, like, befuddles him. And and what would that mean for the game like would they go to another quarterback would they lean on the run game but again I don't think anybody thinks that Stennis Stetson Bennett has to play great for Michigan to win but what if Mike McDonald has him thinking he doesn't even know which way is up I I don't know if that's out there and then again Todd Monken you know you just have to make sure your quarterback doesn't screw it up so I do think Gaddis is the guy who's who has this on the line and again the art of it we know how Michigan likes to attack, but how he puts a script together early because it would be a big deal for Michigan to get out to a lead here because if they can get a lead and then run it, then they're in business a little bit. So what's his script early? Again, they called the halfback pass that they threw a touchdown against Iowa. They called a flea flicker against Iowa. They put that on film. Georgia has to worry about it. So now where do they go from there? I do think he'll have some of that, but – I think Josh Gaddis reportedly was in the running for the Virginia job that went to Tony Elliott, the Clemson offensive coordinator. Again, this is like a next level audition for, for Josh Gaddis. Not that he's going to get a job now, but if he comes out with the game plan that beats the Georgia defense and puts Michigan on the edge of a national title, Josh Gaddis is going to be able to name his job a year from now. So again, which is the opposite of the, like I'm sure Josh Gaddis knows that. 
So what does that mean? Does he does he try too hard? I think that's on the table too, right, Shahan? Which is again the opposite of the Denbrock principle. This is like the biggest moment of Josh Gaddis's life so far in a career that is absolutely ascending. And I just like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. It could be bad. Yeah, I, I mean, I think to put this very simply, I think that uh, with the Georgia coordinators. Dan Lanning and uh, and Todd Monken need to do what they do. I think that Mike McDonald needs to do what he does. There's some wrinkles in there for sure, but I, I think mostly they just need to do what they do. Josh Gaddis needs to do more than they've done, right? They need to be something almost different than what they've been this year. Not because they haven't been a good unit. They've been tremendous, of course. But I, I think to match up with Georgia, they need to show dimensions to their game that they have not showed at any point this year. And uh, and Josh Gaddis only had a month to put this all together. So I'm really curious. I'm really excited to see it. Uh, I'm also excited to see it because I think Josh Gaddis is a really good coach. And I don't want this Michigan game plan to be, what if we ran right at Jordan Davis? You know, I, I just think that that would be a real shame. Aha, I know what <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> Right at the four hundred pounder. See how no one's done that yet. Let's let's be the first. <laughs> Have to you try. tried running against George's interior line? Have you thought of that? I, I don't know. It's uh, again back to the Arrested Development meme. Uh, uh, <laughs> these people delude themselves into thinking it's going to work for them, but it may work for us. <laughs> Hassan Haskins, the first running back in in playoff history to run the ball at least 20 times and have negative yardage again. And that's like, that's not Hassan Haskins is great, but if they try to pound him up the middle 20 times, it's not going to work. All right. We're going to take a last break and come back with the question. Shahan wanted to add to the discussion. We'll do that next on the college football survivor show, the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, what did you want to bring up to make sure we covered on this podcast? I've actually got two now. Ooh, okay. Let's go with the one I didn't uh, tell you before first. So Desmond Ritter, I think we've talked a lot about him. He needs to have a big game for uh, Cincinnati to have a chance. So over under 350 total yards for Desmond Ritter in this game, both passing and rushing combined. So I am a big fan of the theoretical idea of the veteran quarterback who doesn't need to run typically deciding in the moment that I am going to run now. And that to me is Ritter. And again, just because I witnessed his firsthand, it's, it's a lot like how Troy Smith evolved at Ohio State almost two decades ago, that you start off and you run when you're young while you're learning. And by the end, you kind of don't need to run because you've got the offense totally under control. But it's there. But it's there. And again, it is much different. There is one thing against a defense like Alabama to run out of desperation. And there is another to run with precision. And you can have that precision, like not on a called run, but the idea of we've scouted this, we do this. When we get this look and you see the first read, let's be ready to go. Go quick. If they give you that man look and they're following Pierce this way and Tucker's coming underneath and that's a go for you. That's I I think they have to have that kind of plan because that's a uh, that's a way to get Bama. So three fifties a lot, but I'll take the over. And I think I but again, that's I think that's at least 
50 rushing yards so that he's not throwing for 300. But like, if you're telling me like 275 and 75, I I could see that. And that's in the part of the formula for Cincinnati having a chance to win this thing. Yeah, I I think I'm going to go over and uh, no, I mean, that, that is, I think in a lot of ways, the, the plan for beating Bama, right, is just being able to take what's there. Um, you know, I, I think that one comparison is the uh, the Clemson quarterback who who maybe we don't like to talk about right now. Uh, you know, he obviously had some really big games against uh, Alabama just because, like you mentioned, he took what was there when it was there. And it just changes the way that Alabama has to play defense. It's something that you can't really prepare for if you're Alabama, right? I mean, it's one of those things that you just kind of have to read and react in a lot of ways. And Nick Saban had a great quote that I'm struggling to pull up right now, so I'm not going to bother. But he basically was like, one of the great things about Desmond Ritter uh, is that he is willing to take what's there. He is willing to to make the right decision and take short yardage. And I think that this game is going to be decided by three and four yard plays for Cincinnati more than it's going to be decided by 70 yard plays. And, uh, and for Desmond Ritter, I think that's going to be it. I think it's going to be a very inefficient game for him, right? I, I think that he's going to run for 2.7 yards per carry and he's going to throw for, you know, 6.1 yards per pass attempt, well below his season averages. But if he's able to do that with consistency and at the right times, uh, I, I think that that's the difference between a Cincinnati team that competes in this game and one that can't. All right, so you got one more for me? Last one. So heading into this game, we've talked about so many players across these four teams, right? We've been talking about this all year long. But outside of the obvious guys, right? And, and even let, let's maybe take out the guys that we named as X-Factors, right? We talked about some of the tight ends and stuff like that. Who is one player that doesn't really get much attention that maybe we haven't given attention to either who you think could potentially change the complexion of the playoff. Okay. I actually do have an answer for this one. And, and I like this answer and, and he talked about it this week and it's Trey Tucker from Cincinnati, who is their five, nine receiver, but he's also their return guy. And he has a kickoff return for a touchdown this year. He had another kickoff return for a touchdown last year. And this week during interviews, he talked about the idea of, Hey, we were watching Alabama, Texas A&M and Texas A&M ran a kickoff back for a touchdown and helped change that game. A kickoff return for a touchdown helped beat my guy, a chain helped beat Bama this year. And Tucker is that kind of player. I like the idea of a little fast guy in a game like this, right? The kind of guy who would never get an offer from a place like Bama because he's only 5'9". He also, I think, is an interesting receiver. He only like he has games where he doesn't do much. He has a lot of games this year where he has 2 one two two one one zero one two receptions. He had seven catches for 114 against SMU in that big win um, in late November for Cincinnati. So... I, he's not like a primary part of their passing game, but I think, again, if you're thinking about explosion, Mike Denbrock, you think about explosion, you're thinking about a way to try to – like it's not a trick play, but like a little quick hitter that you try to do something that you, you know, set up the same tight end screen that you've shown – you've thrown to Josh Wiley a million times this year. And then you run a little throwback to Trey Tucker on the other side, right? Or so, you know what I mean? Like that, that, that you give this guy a chance two or three times in this game to try to get in space and use his speed. And then the special teams thing lingers anytime Alabama kicks off. So, so 
as a as a one or two big play guy, I'll take him. Would you believe that I was going to pick the same guy? Are you uh, serious? That I feel great about that. You know, we <laughs> we like to sit around and talk about Shahan, how you just take all my answers all the time. So we have said this before. I, I yes, I, I think that's a great answer. I like you said. I do think that. Um, and, and I'm, I'm actually going to, to, to go the special teams route in another direction. I think that the only plus kicker in this game is Jake Moody at Michigan. I, I don't think that there's another plus kicker in this game. There, everyone else is fine. Like there's nobody outside of Cincinnati has a bad kicking game, but uh, Alabama and Georgia, their kicking games are fine. Cincinnati has the worst kicking game in major college yes. football. 130th out of 130. Yes. So yes. Yes. Which is just unbelievable. I, if how, you were a former Big Ten coach, and you don't oh. have good specialists. You you learned at the knee of Jim Tressel. Jim Tressel is pulling <laughs> his hair out all year about this. You you hired Jim Tressel's nephew and dare to have the worst kicking game in America? Come on! But I I, I think that uh, that Jake Moody, similar to Trey Tucker, right? These are guys who I think can change games by making again sort of those those plus 5% type plays on special teams, you know, kicking it out of the back of the end zone, hitting a field goal. That's maybe a little bit longer than one that, uh, that your opponent would hit against you. Uh, certainly again, for a trade decker, like you mentioned, just taking the ball out to the 37 instead of out to the 28. Right. I, I think that that stuff matters in a game in games like this. Right. I think that both games could potentially be pretty ugly. And so I think for Jake Moody being a kicker who can hit, you know, mid to long field goals with regular, uh, with regularity. I mean, completing over 91% of his kicks, averaging 1.7 field goals per game, good enough for eighth in the country. Like, I think that Jake Moody is the one plus kicker in this, in this college football playoff. And I do think that in a game that's going to be as low scoring as I think Michigan Georgia is going to be, I think it's going to look a lot potentially like that Georgia Clemson game. Uh, I, I think that Jake Moody is potentially the kind of difference maker who at least can give them, I, I, he's not going to win them the game, right? But I think that he can do enough to maybe keep them in position uh, to to either come back or win the game or potentially go up by multiple scores. No, I mean, and if it's a low scoring game, you know, hitting a 51 yarder in the middle of the second quarter, it could be a huge momentum swing in a low scoring game, right? If, 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 if points feel like gold, that kind of thing can really matter. All right. We are not making picks right now because we're going to do that on an extra Thursday pod. We will get that to you a little earlier in the day on Thursday. It'll be free for everybody, everywhere you find podcast you will find the college football survivor show and our thursday picks we'll have a friend of mine come in with a little guest spot talk about the betting lines and his sort of breakdown his formula and how he views this game and then shahan and i will make our picks we'll do that on thursday but for now thanks for joining us on this wednesday edition of the college football survivor show for shahan jayharaja of cbs sports i'm doug maurice and that was the college football survivor show The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.